Well, good morning, Celebration Church, and everyone joining us online, our campuses in Appleton, Stevens Point, everybody here in Green Bay, if we could all stand up wherever you are at, let's all join together. Let's say this, this is who we are, this is what we believe here at Celebration Church. Let's all join together and say this. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good to have everyone with us. If we haven't had the chance to meet, my name is Bob, one of the pastors at the church, but good to have everyone with us, especially at our campuses. Good to have all of us joining together here this morning. Uh, I want to announce a couple things. We've got our expo taking place at all of our campuses And these are opportunities to get connected at the church. So a lot of what you'll see this morning are life groups. These are small groups of people that get together during the week. Some of them get together in the morning, afternoon, at night. Uh, Some get together in homes. Some gather at our campuses. And they range from Bible studies to guys getting together and shooting hoops. But whatever it is, it's good to get to know other people in the church and to be connected. So we'd encourage you before you leave this morning, wherever you're at, take a little time and browse what's available at your campus and uh, it'll help you get connected at the church. Also out there, all the different volunteer opportunities, helping out as an usher or a greeter, serving, getting connected in that way. And then all the different events taking place, there's great information out there today in the lobby. So make sure you take advantage of that. And then also we are in the middle of 21 days of prayer. We entered into this season of prayer. A lot of you have been joining with us with fasting during this time as well. It started on January 7th, and uh, this week we're at the half, or past the halfway point, and it's been just a great time gathering in the mornings. We'd encourage you, join with us, uh, all of our campuses in our sanctuaries at 6.15 in the morning, which what? That's early. I'm I'm not so much of a morning guy, but it's early, but it's been great. People coming out. What's good about it is we get you out in time where you can go to school, you can get to work on time, all of that. But 6.15, we finish up right at 7. They're great services. We start off with just a short little message from someone on the staff, and then uh, some individual prayer time, and then we close in a corporate prayer. It's really been some great time, so we hope you're able to join us for that uh, this week. And then Wednesday night, to kind of celebrate what we've been doing, we're doing a worship and prayer night at all of our campuses, so hopefully you can join with us for that as well. Well, we've been giving Pastor Mark a little bit of time off, some well-deserved time off, and uh, so we've had a great lineup of communicators, preachers, teachers. Uh, You guys enjoyed it? It's been great, hasn't it? This morning, a very special uh, friend of Celebration Church and the brother of Pastor Mark, our dear friend. Let's all put our hands together. Let's welcome Bishop Ed Gunger here this morning. Grace. Good morning. We're reading from the Gospel of Mark 
this morning. I, the church has historically always preferred the gospels to be read because we've always been in love with who they are written about, Jesus, our Redeemer, our Savior. And uh, so we read this morning the story in the gospel about when Jesus first appears on the public scene and he's baptized. This is Mark chapter one, starting in verse nine. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And as Jesus was coming up out of the water, watch this, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And the voice came from heaven, you are my son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Now, there are moments in history when the eternal realm tears open into our world. It's when the unseen becomes the seen. And uh, when this happens, I mean, I love that. I think all of us love that idea. When this happens, when we see what we did not see, When heaven pops through, it's referred to in Christian speak as epiphany. We're in the season of epiphany right now that's celebrated in the church calendar historically. The word epiphany is derived from a Greek word which means manifestation or to appear. That's what the word means. An epiphany is when you see something you didn't see or you get something that you didn't previously understand. Um, Maybe you're watching a movie and it's kind of suspenseful. There's a couple little storylines going on and you're not quite sure what's going on. And then the whole film kind of comes to converges to a point. You go, oh, that's what's going on. Aha, that moment is a, a, a human kind of epiphany. Or when you're reading a book and it's got different storylines going and then as you go to the end of the book, it converges. You go, ah, aha. Those aha moments are called Epiphanies. In the context of faith, the term describes the appearance of the invisible divine being where he appears in some open way. In our gospel narrative, it says that the heavens are torn open and this voice comes. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. It was an aha moment for those that were standing by. And all of a sudden, they saw Jesus, whom is coming on the scene for the first time. They go, aha, there's something about him that's different. And that moment brings clarity. Now, here's something interesting when you think about epiphanies. And that is, most of the time, God is a God who hides I mean, he's in our world, and yet he's not just in our world. He's beyond our world. He's a God who is imminent, is the theological language present in our context, but he's transcendent in that he's beyond our context. And sometimes God just moves in and out of that as he wills. And oftentimes he's obscured, and we don't see him. That doesn't mean he's not there. It just means we don't see him. And so God hides, but then he doesn't. Right In this story this morning and in many stories in the Bible and in many stories in your lives, God hides and sometimes appears. He doesn't hide. There's a text in Isaiah 45 that says, truly, it's verse 15, truly you are a God who hides himself. Oh God, the Savior of Israel. See, epiphany is the season we celebrate the times when God comes out of hiding. And the eternal things become clear. 
Again, we see this in a lot of Bible stories. Here's one. This is a story of, of, of uh, Elisha when he's uh, being, uh, this king sends these um, armies to surround him and capture him. And it looks like everything is falling apart. And yet Elisha says something else is going on that you don't see. The idea is that no matter what's going on in your life, it's not the whole story. Because oftentimes God's doing things you don't know. There's a kind of history that you and I understand, but there's a metaphysical history that's moving from God's perspective that we don't often see. Epiphany gets you a peek into the metaphysical. So here's the story. Now, the king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I'm going to set up camp at such and such a place. And the man of God, Elisha, sent word to the king of Israel after he becomes aware of this plan. And he says, beware of passing that place because these Armenians are going there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. Time and time again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on guard in all these places that these Armenians were going to. This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and and demanded that, will you not tell me which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? He thinks he has a mole, a spy. And, and so they said, none of us, my lord, the king, said one of his offers. But, but, but this Elisha guy, this prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel, the one you're trying to attack, the very words you speak in your bedroom. Now, that's not true, but he did show him the things that would cause danger to Israel, right? And so the king goes, well, go and find where he is so I can send men and capture him. The report came back, he's in Dothan. So the king sent soldiers and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night, surrounded the city, and so Elisha's servant it got up early in the morning and he, and he sees this army of horses and chariots surrounded by the city. He freaks out. Oh my Lord, what shall we do? How many times have you freaked out? We all tend to when reports come or things happen or a job gets lost or whatever. What, what, what shall we do, right? What's going on here? And then Elisha says to the kid, to this servant, do not be afraid, the prophet answered him. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And you can kind of imagine the Gehazi, the prophet, looking at Elijah and going, I don't get the math. I mean, there's like two of us. And there's like hundreds, if not thousands, of these army people and soldiers all around us. How does that fit? And so what, what, here's what Elijah does. He says, Elijah prayed, O Lord, open his eyes so he may see Tear the heavens open. Let him see what he does not see. Let him see what is, but he doesn't see that it is. He's asking God to give him an epiphany. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the servant and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And the story ends, these guys can't harm him at all. <laughs> see, this suggests that God is often at work around us, but we don't see him. What if that's true about you? What if he's actually actively working in your life all the time, but you don't always see him? And what that would encourage us to do is become more suspicious of God, to become more suspicious. Like, I, I, I don't know exactly where he is, but I think he's around here. He's in my life somewhere. You know what they call that? It's called faith. See, here's the secret about the God we serve. He loves hiddenness, and he's okay with us not readily seeing him. 
In fact, there's this great story on resurrection day when the disciples, this is on the day Jesus rose from the dead, the disciples end up walking along the road to Emmaus and Jesus, the resurrected Jesus from that day, comes and starts walking with them. Listen to the narrative. This is in Luke 24. Uh, Now at uh, that's, well, let me back up to verse one. Now, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took some spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. There's a resurrection. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Why? He wasn't in there, right? He had risen from the dead. And then in verse 13, now that same day, two of the disciples are going along to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about everything that had happened as they talked and discussed these things with each other. Jesus himself, the resurrection one, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. Watch. But they were kept from recognizing him. I'm a Pentecostal guy from my tradition in Christianity, charismatic, evangelical kind of guy. So I believe that God loves to be seen and loves to make himself known. And, and, and that's so prevalent in my life. I spent most of my years as a pastor and a leader praying and seeing God for God to make himself known, make himself known, right? And I still do that, but what I didn't see for years is that it wasn't my lack of faith or people's unbelief or being deceived by the devil that didn't let God sometimes be seen. Sometimes God isn't seen because he doesn't want to be seen. He's hiding. In fact, he hides and then calls us to seek him. In other words, the whole game started with him. And I remember reading this verse devotionally years ago. And I'm reading it one day, just devotionally. I wasn't studying. And it said, Jesus came up and walked among them and they were kept from recognizing him. And I heard in my heart, I think it was the Holy Spirit. It was certainly a surprise to me. It wasn't where my mind was. I heard in my heart, I do that to you all the time. I prevent you from recognizing me. You know, that was so out of the box for me and so contrary to all what my spiritual tradition thought that my first response was, get behind me, Satan. (laughs) Until it started to unfold. Until I started realizing by looking at scriptures how much God loves to hide, how much he loves to tuck away into our lives, into our career, into our development as a person or as a Christian, into, uh, you know, just our world of relationships. God loves to hide. Here's another story that shows how epiphanies change our lives. And every one of you in this room, most of you in this room, most watching in the campuses have had this experience. This is not exactly like this, but something like this. Meanwhile, this is in Acts chapter 9. He's talking about Paul, who was originally called Saul. It's a story about him before he came to Christ, how he used to kill Christians. And so here goes the story. Meanwhile, Saul... Uh, was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. And he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, which is what Christianity was called early, uh, whether men or women, he might take them prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he nears Damascus on his journey, suddenly... A light from heaven flashed, heaven's torn around him, and he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice say, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Saul replies, who are you, Lord? And then he says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. This is a story of epiphany, and the modality was God mugged Paul. (laughs) See, most of us have mugging stories. 
where somehow, you know, think about when this happened to you when you first encountered Christ in a way that you didn't know he was. Christmas Day, 1970, when God made himself real to me, the heavens tore open and it changed the direction of my life. I mean, I thought religion was a kind of a side piece of life. My mom used to drag me to church. I never imagined that religion would become my life. But now I'm a completely religious guy. <laughs> I mean, I love God. I love his church. I love faith. I love talking about God. I love thinking about God. I love doing God's stuff, teaching people, caring for people, bringing the news that life can be better because God is in the world, reaching out to people. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is something a prophet told one of the kings. He's talking to the king, and the king was saying, you know, oh, I've got it pretty good. And, and, and the prophet said, the Lord has much more for you than this. I love going to people and saying, hey, hey, listen, the Lord has much more for you. This isn't the end. There's so much more. He's always working. He's interested in tearing the heavens open, knocking you on the ground, bringing good. I love that. (laughs) He's a God who surprises. He's also a God who hides. My hope for the world is that people would see God that people would have more epiphanies of God. That's why I encourage people to dare to seek him. Dare to seek him more. That's why this 21 days prayer deal is so sweet. Why? Because you're moving into God. You may not feel a, a thing. It may feel like, you know, heaven's shut and God is on vacation. Right? But that doesn't mean pushing into those spaces won't stir something up. The Bible said, Jesus said, hey, just go into place, shut the door, pray in secret. And your father who sees in secret will eventually reward you openly. The heavens will tear. Something will happen. Seek and you will find. The game is rigged. (laughs) Jeremiah 29 says that. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. I love this. You will seek me and you're going to find me because when you seek seek me with all your heart, in other words, you got to be committed, I will be found by you. (laughs) declares the Lord, I will be found by you. Beautiful. Here's the cool part. He's hiding in every person's life. Even people who don't know him or believe in him. Even people who aren't Christian. God hides in every life. See, how do you know that? Because of stories like this one. This is Acts 14. This is verse eight. It's in Lystra. There's this guy who's crippled in his feet who was lame from birth and had never walked. He heard Paul. Paul, who was Saul, is now converted and he's speaking. Paul looks directly at this guy and saw that he had faith to be healed and he called out, hey, stand up on your feet. And at that, the man jumped up and began to walk. Man, the heavens have torn. A miracle has come. God is seen. This is epiphany. Watch the response. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they said, these are pagans, right? These weren't Jews. These weren't Christians. They saw what Paul had done. They started shouting in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down in human form. Now, here's an actual miracle of God. God has torn open the heavens and done something miraculous and made himself known, and these people don't get it right. Listen, this is the story of the world. God is always moving. Lots of people get it wrong. When we go to people to preach the gospel, it's not that we're bringing God to them. God's already involved with them. It's that we're decoding. We're the decoder rings to help them see that 
the God who's involved with their life isn't Zeus or Hermes or some other construct, but it's the God who sent, who's the creator of the world, who's active in the world, and sent Jesus Christ to bear our lives, to, to carry our lives to the cross, and then to rise again to new life. This is the story that we construct. So what happens is, the gods have come into human form. They completely miss it. Barnabas, they called Zeus. <laughs> Paul, they called Hermes. These are Greek gods, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, right? whose temple was just outside the city. They brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to Paul and Barnabas. They got it wrong, okay? But when Paul, when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes and rushed into the crowd shouting, you're morons! You're going to hell! You got it wrong! How dare you, you filthy, filthy people! That's not what he says. Watch what he says. People, why are you doing this? We're just people like you. We're human like you. We come to bring this good news, telling you to turn from the worthless stuff that you're doing to the living God, the one who made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, God, this God let all nations go their own way. That's why you've been doing what you're doing. Yet he has not left himself without testimony, even though you get it wrong. Even though you think when God moves and does some wonderful thing in your life, you think it's Zeus. You got it wrong. Even, that, even though that's true, he's, he still moves in your life. He's still active in your world. Watch what he says. In the past, he let the nations go, but that, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness to you. God's kind to people who don't get him. Maybe we should. He, he shown his kindness by giving you rain from heaven, crops in their seasons. He provides you plenty of food, and this is my favorite part. And he fills your hearts with joy. Think of that. People who are, get it all wrong, who wrongly attribute creation to some false deity, who are worshiping some false deity, who are not living like they're supposed to be doing, not honoring God as God, God is still kind to them, giving them rain and harvest and all the joy that fills their hearts. In other words, every time they pick up a little baby and they, they just feel warmed and in love, that's God helping them do that. Every time they, they get married and celebrate that and fall in love, and every time they get together with friends and they're guffawing and enjoying friendship, all of that is the work of God. They're claiming it's Zeus because they're confused. Our call is to help them recognize it isn't Zeus. It's the true God. Think of the implications of this. I mean, if this is true, God is tucked away in every person's life you know. The religious people, the non-religious, agnostic, atheist people, the other religion people, like the, like the ones who worship Zeus or other faiths of the world, the good people, the bad people, the ugly people. God is involved with everyone is what the claim of scripture is. <laughs> what if we stopped looking at people thinking are they in or they're out and we just start looking at people and thinking, you know, God, you're moving in their life. I wonder what you're doing. What if our call to ministry and evangelism is really just being a sleuth? A kind of, kind of a suspicious kind of, you know, person that, uh, uh, that's trying to investigate. 
What if, what if we're supposed to Sherlock Holmes? What if Sherlock Holmes is really evangelicalism? <laughs> they were just trying to help people see, what, trying to discover what's going on in their life. This will change how you see people at work. Instead of judging them because they're this or that or the other, or they claim that they're an atheist, you, you should look at them and say, I wonder, what God, I wonder God what you're doing in their life. And I wonder if you would help me to get close enough to them that I can actually listen. What if ministry to people is more about listening than about talking? and recontextualizing instead of pushing. When I first began to see some of these things back in the 80s, I was a, there was a neurosurgeon that went to our church in Marshfield, Wisconsin, and her, well, actually, he didn't go. The wife went and with her children, and they were going to leave, and I had never met him, so I, they were leaving to move to uh, Seattle, Washington. And so I went over to their house to say goodbye, and I always wanted to meet the doctor, pretty famous guy. And so I got in there and, and started talking, and immediately, because I'm a religious person, right, we started talking about God. And he said, let me just tell you something before we go any further. And they said, I'm an agnostic. He said, I'm not saying I don't believe in God, but I don't believe in God. I said, that's, that's cool. I said, let me ask you a question. Because I'm thinking in my mind, God, you're working in his life. You're doing miracles. You're doing stuff in his life. He just doesn't see it. So where are you? Where are you? Where's Waldo? Right? Where's, where's God? <laughs> in this guy's life. So I'm looking at his life. And, and so I talked to him. I said, well, is there any place in your world where you feel like you've encountered something other, something transcendent, something bigger than, than just what's here? He goes, I don't know. I said, maybe when you had a baby or uh, when you guys had babies or when you fell in love with your wife or got married, wasn't there some moment where it seemed like it was bigger than normal stuff? You know, he's shaking his head a minute. He said, well, he said, I love to go hiking. And sometimes when I go hiking, I mean, it's true. I get to certain areas and I see certain scenes and it sometimes hits me, like almost like a piece hits me. He said, but that's just nature. So I said, well, what if it's not just nature? So what if that's Jesus? And I smiled at him. He laughed out loud right at me. Okay. So I said, okay, doc, listen. I said, if you, next time you're out, and you get into a context like that, and somehow that peace seems real to you in some nature way, why don't you ask it, are you Jesus? If you think of this conversation, ask it, are you Jesus? Now, in the back of my mind, when I said, if you think of this conversation, I'm praying, Holy Ghost, get him. <laughs> See, that's the beauty of this, is we don't have to do this ourselves. This is not about coercing people or convincing people. or This is about us cooperating with a God who hides, and he loves to... And people don't think he's in there. Like that, pop! <laughs> God's not a weasel, but he's sweet. But anyway, the point is, so I said to him, if you even think of this, ask it, ask that piece, are you Jesus? And so we walked away. He kind of laughed again at me. We walked away. Three months later, this is in the day of letters, so three months, no emails, whatever. Uh, three months later, I get this letter. And the letter describes, they were out in, uh, uh, in uh, um, Seattle, and they were up in some mountains, there beautiful areas up there. So he's up there, and he's with some new uh, colleagues from the hospital he was in. And he said, we were all hiking out there, and I was leading the pack. And he said, I came around this corner out of some wooded area, and this amazing valley was right before me. And he said, it just hit me. Just hit me. And he said, it was like a palpable piece. He said, and I remembered our conversation. And he said, so under my breath, because I was with people, under my breath I said, are you Jesus? <laughs> and he said, 
He answered me, I am. And then he said, what do I do now? <laughs> oh my gosh. This is better than the four spiritual laws, baby. Preaching at people, trying to convince people. Because listen, family, what if our role is simply to give witness to the fact God is at work in people's lives? See, I, I, think, I think our role is essentially to give witness to that reality. And here's a critical point, because we've got to be done here, is a critical point. Our main calling as Christians, I believe, is to give witness that there's a God who loves to tear the heavens open for us. And that of our mugging stories, of our moments of epiphany, that we're to give witness to that, that's all. We are not called, I do not believe, to be culture warriors, where we're arguing with people and fighting with people over moral or political or philosophical or religious issues. It's not that you can't get into those conversations and share your thoughts, but you don't have to fight. We're simply to give witness that the reason I think this way is because I feel God is working my life. And I, that's, I mean, you can give testimony to that, but you're in, you and I are not called to fight people and to be angry with them and to write them off. There was a gal in our church in Wisconsin who was, deeply active in the pro-life movement, which I love for life. I think Christians should be for life, right? And she, but she was so aggressive. Oh my gosh. She would be carrying, you know, go to the rallies and carrying signs and screaming at people, telling them, you're, you're going to go to hell. God is going to judge you. I mean, she was just lit. So I'm talking to her one day. I said, you know, listen, how come you're so freaked out? I mean, it's one thing to be, you know, to share your values and to stand up and do that. You have a right to, we're in America, right? You can do that, but why, do you, why are you so mean <laughs> to a basic answer? She said, well, she said, I'm so passionate about this. I said, well, tell me your story. How did you get passionate? Well, she had had, as a young girl, an abortion. It so hurt her heart that she hated it. But also, she had once been a pro-choice advocate and used to carry signs and scream at pro-life people, cursing them, mad at them, angry with them. And so now what had happened is she, she is now on the other side, as angry the other direction. So I said, well, who, who changed your mind or what changed your mind? She said, well, I came to Christ. And, and he opened my eyes. I said, ah, okay. So he opened your eyes to see that where you were at was not the right place to be. She said, yes. And I said, well, why are you trying to open people's eyes? I mean, if it took God to open your eyes, do you think you're going to replace God and open people's eyes? You know, maybe what you should just simply do is lose some of the meanness and lose some of the outrage and simply witness to a change in your life. See, I think our call to witness of the torn heavens and to trust God to tear the heavens for others is what we're supposed to do. We should be praying for and trusting God for epiphanies in the lives of those around us. We are to love them as they are. We are to witness to the heaven that, that heaven has revealed to, to us what, he's, what God has revealed to us without coercion, without meanness, and then we wait. The sad news or the bad news is not everyone will respond to us. 
When we talk of God opening heavens, not everyone will respond. Uh, here's a story in John 12. This is when the heavens tore open again and a voice from God comes and, and uh, speaks to Jesus. Watch it. This is in John 12. Jesus is praying, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. See, they're tearing. A voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. Watch. The crowd that was there and heard it said it thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Here's a point. Whenever God tears the heavens open, you have two responses. Some people think heaven has spoken. Some people think it thundered. Not everyone has faith. Not everyone will get it. Not everyone at Paul said in First or Second Thessalonians 3, I pray that you'll be delivered from wicked and evil people because not everyone has faith and not everyone does have faith. But you can't force it. Right? All right. Here's what I'm suggesting to you. I think we're to trust for our eyes to be open and for the heavens to rip and to trust for others too. See, Celebration Church, it's a renewalist church. We believe God is at work in the world. We believe that the world is enchanted. That he's, we look at the sun and we just don't think, oh, it's the sun that orbits, you know, that's in, the, uh, in our part of the solar system and we orbit around him and all those scientific facts are true. But we believe something more. We believe what Jesus said, that we give thanks for the sun because the Father has sent the sunshine. It's enchanted. God is involved. Faith isn't a compilation of propositions and rational analysis for us. It's full of ghost stories of the holy kind. God is at work. We, if we opened the, the mic to the congregation here and the congregations watching, we would hear God siding after God siding stories of God being at work in our lives. Testimonies of God's faithfulness and his working. We believe in miracles. We, we pray for them. We expect healing, right? We expect uh, provision. We expect influence to come from God and his favor. And, uh, but, but we know that it doesn't always come as quickly as we re- would like, and we're okay when life slips into the land of the suck. <laughs> because we know God works even in the suck and brings our good into our lives. So here's what I'm urging us to do. Learn to anticipate God's presence. He's hiding. Yes, he asks us to seek him, but we, and we need to do it, but he's present. <laughs> if you walked home today and uh, went into your house, and there's a note on, the, on your table, and it said, hey, Ed Gunger here, I'm hiding in your house. Come and find me. Now you have a couple of choices there. You could call 911 and just get it done. <laughs> or you could say, let's find him. And you start digging around and looking around and looking every spot possibly. And if you got to it, you know how long you'd look for me? Until either one, you found me, or two, you thought it was a joke. Or it wasn't true. See, most of us don't seek God because we don't really believe he's in our lives. Because if he was, we would see him. That'd be like me telling you, I've got, that, I've got a grand piano in my pocket and there's no bulge. You say, there's no grand piano in your pocket. But if all of a sudden I reached in and I went, and a grand piano appeared, you know what you'd say? It's a miracle! 
because it doesn't look, how could that be, right? See, how can God be in your life and you not feel it? How could God be in your life and you lose your job? How could God be in your life and you get that report from the doctor? How could God actually be in your life with his power in his life and you not be able to pay your bills? How, could, how is that possible? All I can tell you is he's in your life. And if you dare to seek him when it looks like he's not there, you will be found by him. And life will get better. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your life. We ask you to help us be God seekers. We ask you to help us not just be God seekers for ourselves, but look for you in the lives of others and help them see you. To God be the glory, we ask through Christ our Lord. Everybody said? Amen.